Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, before I get into my message today, I wanted to talk to you about one aspect of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and that is uh, I've created some prayer cards uh, to have available to you. They're in the back of the seats, and I think we have them over in the video cafe as well. And the purpose of these prayer cards is to give me clarity as your pastor how I can pray for you in 2020. And so what I ask you to do is to write down your name on a card and then tell me how I can pray for you. What's the issue that you're the most concerned about this year? And then uh, if you'll leave the cards at baskets at the exit uh, sites, the exit doors, uh, we gather them together. I gathered a little over 800 last week and started praying through them. This gives me clarity of how to pray for you. It gives me uh, an understanding of what you're going through. And it also, uh, I pass it around to the other pastors, gives them a chance to pray for you. And we just believe in the power of prayer. And so we'll be glad to serve you in that way. So I hope you get one of these. If you haven't given it to me, uh, uh, you can do it today. Now, the premise of this series is that when Jesus began the movement, he called the church that he intended it to be a very relational movement, not really just a religious movement. I mean, it is a religious movement, but he intended it to be a relational movement. And so when he invited people to join him with the, for the movement, what's interesting is he didn't use a very religious word. Instead, over and over again, when Jesus invited people to join him for his movement, he used a relational word. He said, follow me. Over and over, he said to people, follow me. And he said, follow me to all kinds of people. Uh, we've seen through the last few weeks, Jesus said, follow me to people with baggage, people with issues, people with doubts, people with fears. Uh, G Jesus invited people to follow him who are both uh, righteous and not righteous, religious and not religious, and some of them, frankly, were not very spiritual. Wherever they were, Jesus said, follow me. And so what's comforting about that is all of us can follow him wherever we are. Now, the last two weeks, we made a couple of startling observations about people that Jesus invited to follow him. Uh, first of all, Jesus invited sinners to follow him before they got their act together. He invited them wherever they were, follow me. And, and of course, that's good news for us because that means you and I can follow him too. We're all in the same boat, right? We're all just sinners following a savior. Another startling observation that we made about Jesus' invitation to follow him is that Jesus invited unbelievers to follow him. Every person Jesus ever invited to follow him didn't believe in him at first they began to follow him, and as they followed him, as they were exposed to his teachings, as they saw the way he lived his life, as they witnessed some miracles, they gathered reasons to believe. And so they followed him before they believed. And so I just want to say to you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, maybe you're not sure what you think about God yet, and you're not sure what you think about Jesus yet, that's okay. Start right now where you are, turn toward Jesus and follow him. Take the next step of faith. And so the people that Jesus invited in the first century to follow him are people just like you and me. They had doubts, they had fears, they had anxieties. Some of them had baggage. And, and can we just be honest? Some of them had religious baggage. And I know some of you have experienced some relig religious baggage in your life and you're a little bit hesitant about 
a religious movement like Jesus. Well, that's why he made it very relational. And I think what's also true about people in the first century and what is true about us is most of us need time to figure things out, right? And that's what's great about following Jesus is it's a journey, it's not an event. And so you get time to figure things out along the way. You start wherever you are, turn towards Jesus and take the next step of faith. Now today I wanna turn to another question uh, that I think is important when you're following Jesus and you know, maybe this one seems so obvious, maybe you've even been thinking about it and that is, okay, if I'm following Jesus, where are we going? Where is he leading me, right? <laughs> I mean, what's the end game? What's the destination of this journey? And so for the next few weeks, I want us to unpack that. Where, where do you go if you follow Jesus? Where is he taking us? And I think the answer to that question is not as obvious as you might think. So some people might think that following Jesus, you follow Jesus so you can get into heaven. You ever thought that? Well, did you know that Jesus never equated following him with getting into heaven? In fact, I looked up you know, a lot of the, the instances where Jesus said, follow me, and he never equates it with getting into heaven. In fact, we know that there was a man who left his family, left his business, followed Jesus for three years, but he didn't get into heaven, according to Jesus, because he never believed in Jesus. His name was Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. So you got that? He followed him for three years, but he didn't go to heaven. And then we know there's another man who did go to heaven, who never followed Jesus, not a day in his life. Does that surprise you? The man I'm talking about is one of the criminals who was crucified with Jesus. There was Jesus, there were two criminals. One of the criminals, by his own admission, he said to Jesus, I've lived a very sinful life. I deserve my punishment. So that, that's quite a statement. And he never followed Jesus a day in his life. He had lived a very sinful life. But there, when on the cross, he looked at Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, he heard some of Jesus' words, he recognized who Jesus was. And when he recognized who Jesus was, he recognized who he was. And there on the cross, that criminal spoke words of faith to Jesus. This is what he said. Jesus Will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Remember me. That, those are amazing words of faith to say to a person who's dying right beside you. That means he believes something about Jesus, that this wasn't over. <laughs> and what's amazing is that Jesus turned to this man who never followed Jesus a day in his life and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Because he believed in Jesus. What gets you to heaven is your faith in who Jesus is, not anything you do, and that's wonderful. But that means following Jesus is not about getting into heaven. Okay, well, some of you, maybe, maybe you thought that following Jesus is about living a problem-free, pain-free life. It goes something like this. Well, if I follow Jesus, I'm gonna be healthy, wealthy, and without adversity in life. You ever heard that version of Christianity? I, I know it's out there. I've heard of it. 
And it really grieves me that, that people believe that because Jesus never said that. In fact, if you go and read what Jesus said about following him, he said stuff like this. Hey, if you follow me, you're going to experience troubles in life. You're going to experience some painful situation. You're going to face challenges and trials in life. And then he started saying stuff like, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to ask you to deny yourself. I'm going to ask you to, to, to take up your cross, your cross, carry it and follow me. Well, that doesn't sound like pain-free, problem-free living. So let's just, let's just be clear. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're never going to have challenges or problems or face uh, difficult situations in life. Well, okay, if that's not what it means to follow Jesus, then where is he taking me? Where are we going if we follow Jesus? Well, for the three years that Jesus taught and preached and healed people during his public ministry, he was beginning a movement. And near the end of his public ministry, you know, he, he, he was beginning to get things ready to hand over the movement to some hand-selected leaders. And he wanted to make sure that everybody understood what mattered most in his movement. He wanted to make sure that everybody understood where this movement was going. And so numerous times, Jesus made it clear what his movement was all about and where he is taking us. In one scene, Jesus is debating some Jewish religious leaders, and it was actually a pretty healthy debate, and we get a little bit of clarity about where this movement is going and where Jesus is taking us. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Okay, so, so what is the, all of the commandments that this religious leader is talking about? Well, the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish faith was guided by 613 commandments that were recorded in the first five books of the Jewish scriptures called the Book of Moses. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so this religious leader is pointing to the 613 commandments. Now, you've probably heard the more famous 10 commandments, right? Well, there was more than 10. There were 613. And I think that just sounds like a lot of commandments to even remember, much less try to live out, you know? And so this religious leader, this Jewish religious leader, I think asks a very important question. Okay, if we had to just pick one, Jesus, <laughs> which one would you pick? And Jesus didn't hesitate with his response. Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So here Jesus summarizes all of those 613 commandments, and he boils it down to two. The, the, the leader asked for one, he gave him two. Love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And so I think Jesus put these together, didn't just give the first commandment because I think he's, he's helping us answer the question, so how do I love God? 
You know, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, you know, how do you love God? How do I love God? Jesus is saying, here's how you, how do you love a God you can't see? You love a God you can't see by loving people you can see. That is how you love God, by loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, and, I, and as I was meditating on this, this verse and what Jesus said, I think Jesus makes an assumption here that, that maybe was true in his day that I'm not always so sure is true in our day, and that is that people love themselves. You know, he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's just assuming well, you love yourself, right? Because I find in our day that I think there's some people who don't love themselves in, in the appropriate. I think there's some people who have had ugly words spoken into their lives and they just don't feel lovable. And I think there's some people who've made some poor decisions in life and they've done some pretty bad things and so they don't love themselves. And then there's others of us who may have been raised to believe that loving yourself is selfish and prideful and arrogant and ungodly and unspiritual. You ever had, had that? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. He's assuming you love yourself. And so I, I want to help you with this today. Do you love yourself in an appropriate way? When you recognize how much God loves you right now, just the way you are, you can love yourself because you're just loving yourself the way God loves you. And when you, when you love God and love yourself, you get an inner capacity and ability to love others the way God loves them. And so it all goes together. I, I hope that you believe God loves you. That's where it starts. And then you begin to learn how to love God by loving others. And so Jesus is, is teaching us a way of love. And when he, when he responds to this religious leader, uh, uh, you know, for those of you who are a little bit more like theologians, I, I want you to see something. He ties together the old movement, the Jewish movement that he is replacing, which was a, good, a great movement. It served a great purpose in human history. But he's replacing the old movement with a new movement, but there's, there's one element that ties the two together, and that's love. And so the answer to where is Jesus taking you, if you follow him, it's the way of love. It's to lead a life of love. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> that all sounds nice, but what does it mean? Well, another religious leader in a different setting asked that question. He asked Jesus, so what does it mean to love my neighbor? And Jesus replied by telling a story. And it's a story that has become perhaps one of the most uh, well-known stories in ancient literature. You may have heard of it. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it begins like this. This is Luke chapter 10. In reply to what does it mean to love my neighbor, Jesus said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. So the story begins with a person in need. And in this case, the person has been beaten and lost money. So it's, been, it's a physical need and a financial need. He's hurting and he can't take care of himself. 
And so I think this reflects you know, anybody who is in need. This, this was his need. It could be a person who's in need because they've lost a job or because they've become homeless or someone who's facing uh, oppression of some kind or fleeing from conflict or violence of some kind or abuse or racism. It's a person in need. Let's continue with the story, verse 31. So a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, another Jewish religious leader, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, what's going on there? Doesn't that just actually sound mean? So <laughs> what's going on? So these, the Jewish, uh, these Jewish religious leaders who are guided by those 613 commandments, well, there are some of those commandments that pertain to when you're exposed to people who have wounds and you would become what was called ceremonially unclean or you know, religiously unclean. And so if you touch someone who had open wounds, you were not supposed to be around other people for about a month. And, and of course, today we understand why, you know, germs and stuff, but they didn't. It was just, it was a part of the laws that guided them. But, but Jesus' point in surfacing this part of the story is these religious leaders had a misguided notion of what it meant to love God. They were more focused on think, this way of thinking. If I touch this man, I'm not going to be able to go to the temple or to the synagogue for about a month or so. And that's how I show my love to God, which is going through the religious rituals of, of you know, expressing my love to God. So they bypass this person in need. And Jesus is, is, is trying to teach people that's not what it means to love God. Loving, loving your neighbor doesn't say, well, if I help my neighbor, I'm going to miss church for a month. Loving your neighbor means if, if I help my neighbor, I'll be the church for a month. You see the difference? Now, fortunately, the story doesn't end here. Jesus uh, brings in another character, a Samaritan. And I want to give you a feel for how bringing in a Samaritan to a story would have brought tension between the Jewish people he was speaking to and, and the Samaritan. There, were, there was a lot of tension. So the Samaritans were formerly Jewish people who had been captured by a foreign power taken out of the land of Israel. They intermarried with other people and their religion got mixed in with other religions. You know, so it was a, it was a real mixture. But then they came back to the land of Israel. And when they came back, there was tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. In fact, by Jesus' day, there was so much animosity that Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other, didn't do business together. They didn't look at each other. They didn't touch each other. A lot of tension. So I, I was trying to, I was trying to like, imagine how to help you understand the animosity. They had animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans like many of the Jews and Muslims in the Middle East have right now. Or, or maybe like the animosity between, you know, Democrats and Republicans right now. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of love going on there. Not a lot of love in your neighbor going on. So Jesus brings in a Samaritan to be the hero. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went, uh, went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, 
I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this Samaritan saw the same person in need and it wrecked him. And he took pity on him and then he took care of him. You see, he had a kind of love that acted. He had a kind of love that gave. He had a kind of love that risked. He risked getting involved in somebody's life he didn't even know. He risked uh, getting involved in this man's life without seeing any end in sight. He risked giving, uh, making a financial commitment without knowing the total cost. And this is the kind of love Jesus' movement is all about. And so in this story, I think we see two important aspects about what the kind of love Jesus is teaching. First, this story we see uh, Jesus is talking about loving the na a neighbor you don't know, okay? So this is loving someone you don't know. And I think here Jesus is casting vision for us to have a sense of compassion and love for humanity. When we see the needs of humanity, people struggling with poverty or homelessness or abuse or violence of some kind or racism or oppression, that we feel something about it and that we do our part to do something about it. Now this weekend, we remember and we celebrate the life and the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he was a leader of Jesus' movement in his day. And during his day, he saw a missing piece in the movement Jesus started. And it, it, it's this kind of love. He saw the oppression that racism was causing in our culture and poverty. And so he determined to do something about it. And he led a movement, he was one of many who led a movement of nonviolent protest to change our culture. And he left a legacy that made our world and made our country in particular a better place. He saw a need, he felt something about it, and then he did something about it. Now, if you've never had the opportunity to read some of Dr. King's books or to, uh, I've read through some of his interviews, whenever he was asked why he risked doing what he did, because you may not know this, he had a really nice church in Atlanta, pretty wealthy for, for his context, that he could have stayed at and had a nice life, been a nice pastor, had a nice easy life, but he took a different path. He risked loving. And when, when asked why he did it, why he took the risk, he said it's because of the love of Jesus. And one time a person asked him, well, what's the love of Jesus like? And I love his response. Th these are his words. Dr. King said, I'm not talking about weak love. I'm talking about love with justice. Weak love can be sentimental and empty. I'm talking about love that is strong so that you love your fellow men enough to lead them to justice. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about. A love that actually does something for people in need. Now there's a second aspect of love that Jesus shows us in the story that I think is also very important. Jesus is casting vision for us to love people who are not like us. See, the Samaritan is loving a person who's not like him. And, and I think that what that means, it forces us to wrestle with loving people who have a different religious belief than we do, different political beliefs, people who have different backgrounds, different perspectives, different values, people who don't believe what we believe and don't behave like we behave. Jesus is saying, yeah, I want you to love them too. I mean, 
It's one thing to love people who are just like us. That's a little bit easier. But it's a little bit harder to love people who aren't like us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to love all people. That's what my love movement is about. And so Jesus cast vision over and over for people to love one another, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. But on a different occasion, he surfaces another aspect of loving others that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. In fact, what Jesus says is so counterintuitive and so countercultural, it just sounds radical and extreme. I mean, because, you know, it's one thing to love a neighbor you don't know, you know, which is the example of the Samaritan, because you don't know. But how many of you know sometimes it's actually harder to love the neighbor you do know, because the neighbor you do know may have hurt you. And so this is what Jesus said in a different setting, Matthew 5, 43. He cast vision for radical love. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, what is he talking about? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where did he get that? So Jesus, the first part, Jesus is quoting from the book of Leviticus. Remember the first five books of the Bible? The one that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he quoted that all through his ministry. Well, where did the hate your enemy part come? Well, that's not, that's not in the Jewish scriptures. <laughs> that's what was taught in Jesus' day by Jewish rabbis who were trying to limit who your neighbor was. So people were struggling with loving their neighbor. They, they didn't, you know, they were struggling with it. And so the, the rabbi said, okay, look, you can love your neighbor and your neighbor is the person who hadn't hurt you. Your neighbor is the nice person but you can hate your enemy. Your enemy is the person who has hurt you. You don't have to love that person. So that's what Jesus is addressing. The saying was, you can love your neighbor, but you can hate your enemy. And I want to ask you a question. Do you have an enemy? Has someone hurt you and become your enemy? Maybe the parent that walked out on your family. Maybe the ex-spouse that cheated on you. Maybe the criminal who scarred your life. Maybe a friend who betrayed you. Maybe an ex-boss who fired you. Or maybe even a person who abused you. Your enemy is the person that still stirs anger and trauma in your heart. Your enemy is the person you really don't want to see, you don't want to speak to, you don't want to be around. The enemy is the person that you hope gets hurt the way that person hurt you. That's the enemy. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who have persecuted you. Why, why does Jesus ask us to love the hardest person in the whole world to love? What are you talking about, Jesus? Why do you want us to love our enemies, the, these people who hurt us? I, and I, I think I have a picture that will help you see why Jesus cast vision for us to love our enemies. So if you can picture all of your relationships in concentric circles, and so in the inner circle are those people in your life that are easy to love. Do you see them? Who are the people that are easy to love? You know, maybe your kids, you know, a good friend or something. These are the easy to love. Great. The next circle, those are the people that are a little bit harder to love. <laughs> Maybe it's that, that challenging person, that coworker that's hard, hard to work with. 
Maybe it's that sloppy neighbor. His yard looks terrible. Or maybe, maybe it's that obnoxious relative that you don't look forward to having Thanksgiving and Christmas with. Jesus says, yeah, I want you to love those people too. And then the next circle are those who are hard to love. Are there some people in your life that are hard to love? Yeah, Jesus is going there. And then at the outer circle, there's that person, your enemy, the hardest person to love. Why does Jesus want me to love that person? And, I, 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 and it's a picture. He, it's because he's telling you that's where I'm going to take you. It's a journey. I'm going to take you through all of those relationships, the easy to love. I want you to love them. The harder to love, I want you to love them. The hard to love, I want you to love them. And I'm going to lead you. This is where I'm taking you to even love your enemy. So you get to the point where you can pray for your enemy. Now, let me just say that I don't think loving your enemy means you get back into a relationship with someone who has hurt you. It, it probably doesn't mean that. But it might mean you get to the point where you can forgive the person who hurt you and pray a blessing for that person. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus picks the person who's the furthest out in our relationship, the hardest person to love, and he says, I'm gonna take you on a journey where you get to a place where you have that kind of love in your heart, where you can love your enemy. You see, if following Jesus is a journey of love, if you forget everything else I said today, please just remember that. Jesus' movement is about love, and following Jesus is a journey of love. And he's going to take you there. And he's going to bring love into every aspect of your life. And, and I do want to say to you, I think that is what will make your life better. I think that's, that's what will make your marriage better and your family better. That will make your workplace better. You bring in a love movement, it makes everything better. Jesus was so committed to this that on the night before he was arrested... He knew, he knew it was getting ready to happen, and he gathered with his core followers. Remember, he had 12 uh, followers. Well, one of them left. That was Judas. Judas went to betray him. So now Jesus is only with the 11 believing followers, and he wanted to make sure that they get it. You know, he's, I'm getting ready to leave this. I'm going to trust my movement into their hands. He wants to make sure that they get it. And so he boils down his movement, not to 613 commandments, not to 10 commandments, not to even two commandments. One commandment. This is John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He said it three times, didn't he? <laughs> he wanted to make sure they got it. Here's my new commandment. Love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciple. You're my father if you love one another. That's what his movement is all about, loving one another. And so if you're new to church or new to city church, I want you to know that we take this one commandment very seriously as a church. So we have four core values that guide us as a church, and our number one value is radical love. We believe Jesus has called his movement to be a movement of radical love. And this is significant, especially if any of you who grew up in the church, because that it tells us that following Jesus, the key characteristic is love. 
It's not going to church. It's not religious activities or religious rituals. It's not even Bible knowledge. A lot of us grew up with a background where we, we equated Bible knowledge with being a follower of Jesus. It's not. And, and let me explain why. Because did you know you can go to church a lot and not be following Jesus? Did you know that you can participate in a lot of religious rituals and not be following Jesus? Did you know that you can even become a Bible scholar and not be following Jesus? Because you can go to church a lot, you can perform religious rituals a lot, and you can know a lot of the Bible and still not be loving others. In fact, how many of you have known someone who knew a lot about the Bible but was mean as heck? Oh, you've met those people too. Following Jesus is about love. And we will do everything we can to help you develop a radical love in your life. The kind of love that sees a need and acts. The kind of love that loves the easy to love, the hard to love, and even the hardest to love. And when you love like that, your life will be richer and you will make this world a better place. That's what Jesus' movement is all about. And so throughout this series, we've said that following Jesus is about taking the next step of faith. So today, I'm not going to ask you to take 50 steps. I just want you to take one step to show love to somebody this week. And I do want to say, if you do have an enemy, you probably don't want to start there. <laughs> You're probably not ready to start there, and that's okay. Remember, this is a journey. But start with someone. And so I want you just to close your eyes. Uh, I'm going to pray over you. And I want you to, to just, just say, Lord, who am I supposed to love? Maybe it's someone you're supposed to speak a kind word to. Maybe they need a word of encouragement. Maybe this is a person that you want to uh, show some kind of act of kindness to. Maybe it's a person in need in your family or a coworker. And you sense, for me to follow Jesus, I'm supposed to get involved. I'm going to risk getting involved in helping this person. And then maybe for some of you, your step of faith, what you sense Jesus wants you to do today is to forgive someone who has hurt you. And so, Lord, we are so grateful that this is the path you're leading us on, the path to love. In my prayers for each one of us that you would give us inner strength and courage to take this next step of faith, to love someone. And Lord, especially for those who believe that they're supposed to forgive a person who has hurt them, I pray that you would, as they forgive the person who has hurt them and wronged them, I pray that you would just fill their hearts up with peace and with love. And so Lord, we entrust ourselves in this movement into your hands, this movement of love, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.